Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being taken by my name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded and today I'm going to interview Ben Close. Now Ben is a former veteran with the British Army, served with the Coldstream Guards and is now a published author. Good morning Ben, thank you for meeting me at such an unearthly time. Yeah. <laughs> ben, where did it all start for you? I mean you're, you're from Luton or between Luton and Kettering, where did it all begin for you? What, in terms of the book or in life? In life. Let's start at the beginning, sir. Well, I mean, from the beginning, it all pretty much started as me, me writing a diary um, when I was in Yemen. I was a private contractor once, once, once I left the army. And I had so much stuff on my head, so much shit in my brain, so much so much um, wanted, to, wanted to say. And in, in life, people used to say, you should write a book, you should write a book. But I had no, I had absolutely no interest. I, I, I'm, I'm highly dyslexic. Um, I struggle to read and write. And and um, I, the last thing I thought about doing was becoming a book author. Yeah. Um, but when I was out in Yemen uh, in 2016, out in Yemen doing contracting, I had a bit of time to myself. I was quite lonely on my own at times. And I had so much, so much, so much in my brain that I wanted to, that I wanted to, to, to say. I've been through, I've got PTSD. I've been through, been through counsellors and, and whatnot. Some of it helped, some of it didn't help. So I just started writing a diary down. Best, best way to describe it was writing a diary from, from the first time I can remember childhood, which, which was quite troubled, which was back from the age of five, which is from what I can remember. So I just started jotting down on, on Microsoft Word. Just started jotting down my life story. Uh, from from a childhood at the age from like I say what I can remember which was about the age of five and it took me seven years it, wow. it led me up, it led me up till pretty much now every time I finished what I thought was my life story uh, I'd deploy on other deployments around the world different contracts every time I, it was one of them sayings once you know once I finished I, I was done but then something else come up and then something else come up. And, and yeah, I just started writing. I just started writing down, started writing down my life. Some of it was very hard to write. Some of it, some of it was therapeutic. Some of it was troubling. And that's led me up till today, basically writing everything down, which has created this first book and one to be continued, obviously, uh, when when more follows at home. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. So let me take you back to your, your five-year-old child, and you've you've got vivid yeah. memories of that. And and if there's stuff that you want to, don't want to discuss, then do you know what, mate? It's your podcast. You you, you can do as yeah. you wish. But what was life like as a five-year-old? Um, it, it was good. It started off good. My mum came from a broke-up marriage. I hence the Luton and the Kettering bit. Dad was from Luton. Is from Luton. Mother Kettering Corby area. So that, that, that they, they broke up. So I started growing up in Corby. Um, unfortunately, mum met, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, mum met somebody else, uh, as, as you do in life. And he came into my life about the age of five, hence the reason I can remember from the age of five. Mm. And up until the age of 15, I was basically subject to domestic violence through him. He, he, um, he fathered my brother and my sister. But in between, in between, in between that, growing up, he he was very abusive to my mother. He, uh, I, I was subject to. I, it's all in his first book. But he he used to be uh amongst other things, He's, uh, for, for for years and years and years. And then when the when I had brother and sister, I basically turned into a a um, a father figure for my brother and my sister. Uh, this, this is going back, you know, from ten years onwards, ten years old on, onwards, uh, and there'd be times where I'd be holding my brother and sister's ears, to hold holding so they can't hear it. Uh, it. It'd be knocking, knocking my mum up, knocking them about, smashing things up. 
I I, it got, I I used to I used to come home from school. I used to come home from school and do room clearances, which sounds mad at the age of 13, 14. Now looking back, I was basically doing figure fine Bill Perry's at uh, after school. I used to come home from school and he used to go, he used to hide a knife uh, or a weapon outside the house. And I'd come home and I'd go around every door, kicking the door in, uh, to see if he was in, going go to the bathroom first, to the left-hand side. Mum still lives in the same house, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'd go in the left-hand left hand bedroom, is he in there? Uh, toilet, is he in there? Is he in the kitchen? Is he upstairs? Is he downstairs? Yeah, uh, and that was, that was after school. As a, as a teenager, you know, and um, yeah, it got to the age of about 14, 15, but I just sort of thought, you know, fuck this. It, it was hard because 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 my dad has been on the wrong side of the law. He was quite he was quite a naughty boy back in Luton back in the day in, in, in his younger years. He'd never he'd never touched me. Um, he'd never lay a finger on me. He was scared. He was scared stiff of my father, which I'll come on to in a minute. Anyway. And um, so he, he was scared stiff, my father. So I just had to, I just had to witness it. And and it was it. So some, sometimes I wish it hit, it it hit me because I, I I used to get in the way of him hurting my mum. But then it, it, it yeah, he wouldn't want to touch me. He he just then deflected it. And and then and then it went through times. It went through times where I used to think it was my fault as well mm. because the 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 um, like the, the relationship would, would break down with my mum and my grand and my her, her mum and dad, my grandparents, and it, it, I used to think, is it my fault? Is this my fault? And and this is yeah, it was it was troubling, you know. And, but that happens a lot. Kids, um, kids are resilient in some areas, but when it comes to dealing with people's relationships and they feel that they are instrumental in the breakdown in relationships. Certainly when it comes to, you know, your grandparents who my grandparents, I was very, very close to, um, it's, it's hard. Is, is your mother still around? Yeah. My mum, do you know what? Very sadly, I did a, I did a podcast with a guy called Richard. It's on YouTube prior to the book coming out. And, uh, she, she watched the podcast on YouTube's hour and, 45 uh, is it two hours long? no sorry it's now five minutes long hour five minutes long yeah and it wasn't until i mean i'm 38 now uh she, she like i say there's been there's been numerous breakdowns between my, my family relationship i'm no angel by the way at all far from it uh but it's I'm, i've always been one of these guys it's always been in my life it's been like i'm i'm i'm, I'm the last to know but always the one, always the one to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Whether that be a in the family, whether that be a a, a problem, or, or you know, like someone, someone needs help. I'll always be the one to go to go and do it. But whether someone's broke down in a relationship, if somebody needs needs help, someone's uh, poorly. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, it's always been. I've always been the one to pick up the pieces at the end, and. And, 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 and to be honest, everything's usually, I, I feel like everything's my fault. And like we, we, when you asked her about my mum, she sent me a very heartfelt text message um, a couple of weeks ago when the first when she watched the first, the first podcast. And it was, it was tearful. She basically apologised for, for me being like that, uh, for me having to witness that. She basically told me I was a hero and that if it wasn't for me, she couldn't have dealt with it. And I... And she was sorry to put me through it. And I was like, Mum, you're a victim as much as me. Yeah, massively. Uh, and I just, I just, all I said to her, all I said to her is, I really wish you'd opened up to me before watch, having to watch a, pod, a podcast and me opening up to the world. It, I, I wish you hadn't have took that for you, for you to watch that in order to sort of come back to me. Do you but, know what I mean? But those guilt, and, and bear in mind, I was in the police for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and dealing with domestic violence. And we dealt with domestic violence when I was a young police officer, far differently to the way they deal with it now. Far differently to the way they deal with it now. The the One of the major traits, um, as we said earlier on, is that the adult victim blames themselves for everything because that's right. that's drummed into them by... The perpetrator. The perpetrator yeah. 
um, they're narcissistic. They make the, the the victim feel worthless. That it's always their fault. It's their fault that the tea's not on the table at a de- decent time. It's their fault that the kids are up late. And the three things that adults argue about is sex, children, and money. Yeah. If you break every argument down as an adult. So, you know, I do get it from your mum's perspective and she's sitting there looking at her son and thinks, God, I wish I'd have done things differently. But that, we can't redress history. We can't change, no, we, no, can't, no, we can't change no, no, things. Exactly. When you are in the house and, you know, your stepfather's um, kicking off, is he still around? Unfortunately, I mean, now that's another story. I mean, you're an ex police officer, but you know, for me, it, it got that bad. It, it got that bad. I, I, had, I had to separate myself. So I went, my grandpa, my grandparents from Luton basically were like my mum and dad, second mum and, and my first dad, because yep. my dad wasn't really around that much. And uh, so I moved into Luton with my then and granddad, who are deceased now. I, I, I've actually dedicated his first book to my granddad. He was basically my father for old life. Cool, man. And and um, he and and at one point, my father rang me when people didn't have phones. He rang my nan, and uh, and he basically said to me, he said, he said, where's this, where's this fucker live? Basically, and he lived in Brayford Avenue in Corby. This is what I mean. I remember it all. I remember it all like it was yesterday. And and I basically told, I told, I, I locked the kitchen door from the outside. And I said to my dad, right, this is this is where I, I'm 14, 15. I haven't got, I haven't got. Uh, this in me at, at this point in time. Do you know what I mean? And, and I just said to my dad, yeah, he lives here, he lives here, he lives with his sister. And um, yeah, my old mum basically sent some lads around, uh, but my nan overheard the conversation and like spoke to my mum, mum spoke to my dad and then basically saved this bloke's life who, and who convened mentally, I've done my research on him and he's a counsellor in Nottingham now. <laughs> And yeah, uh, and, and um, yeah, he should be in prison for 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 an attempted murder and, and GBH on, on my on my sister. But it's it, yeah. It's somehow, did he did yeah. he get locked he, up for that? Did he get in? Did no? Do you know what uh, he he basically at one point he he, he shit my sister, gave her a brain hemorrhage, and and she she suffers a bit now as a, as a and and somehow. I don't know. Do you know what? My mum was one of these women, like a lot of women out there. I know one. That, I know one recently who nearly got murdered from her partner, and she just used to drop charges all the time. And and yep. back then, I, I back then I suppose it was a. Uh, I suppose back then there wasn't the. I mean, now the police and, and the CPS can, can prosecute, can't they? They, they? they they come down on domestic violence very hard, but back then I think it was a it, the law was a bit different and and. Uh, uh, <sighs> I mean, it's yeah, you're absolutely right. We did deal with things differently. And by the time I left the police service, we dealt with them properly because you don't always need to have a victim statement. It was, let me tell you, from a police perspective, it was frustrating because the, the, the role of the police, whatever anybody thinks, is to protect life and property. And yeah. to protect somebody's life, that is, you know, the paramount thing. It's like joining the army. Why did you join the army to protect people? That's that's what you do. Do you know what? I'm not going to lie to you, Paul. Uh, this this is why the book's quite in depth. You know, um, I, I didn't join the army to, to to serve the queen and to serve my country. I, from a young young age, like you say, starting beginning from a young young age. This is why when, when war follows you home, and and the the last part, the last when when you read when you read it, you, you you'll understand a bit more. But did 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 I take war? Did I take war to Iraq with me? Or did or, or, or did did I take did I take did I, did I bring war to, to to Iraq or did I bring or did, did war follow me home? I mean, did did I have PTSD before I joined the army? Did I did, did you know? Do you know what I mean? Or I, I don't know. It's, it's but it's going to be ingrained, isn't it? Because the, the because of the traumas that you went through as a child. That is the start of of your probably. And look, I'm not a counsellor by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, but that's probably where your PTSD started because you've witnessed all of these horrendous things with your mother. You can't, you, and you can't change somebody's mind when they're in a relationship. You cannot change. You can't get them out of that. So, what year did you join the army? I so I like I say this is all in this first book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I tried, I, from a young, young age, 
McGrand that was in the army, my dad was in the army. Um, my, my, my grand, I've got I've got a bloodline going through the army in, in my blood, stretching back to before World War One. And right. funny enough, on both sides of the family as well. And weirdly enough, I mean, touch wood, God bless people who haven't come back. But for some reason, in one uh, my granddad was one of the last of Dunkirk Beach, my great granddad, and uh, we've, had, we've had family members serve in every conflict from before World War One, and we haven't actually lost anyone. Wow, uh, which, which is which is quite which is which is which is lucky. That's, that's not, no one's better at anybody else, but it's just yeah. Um, and um, so so I tried to join up at sixteen. I wanted to just get I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to go to war. I, I wanted to. I know it sounds mad, but I just wanted to channel that anger. I just knew I was a combat soldier from from, from a very very young age. Well, I just knew I was a combat soldier, and just wanted to go out. And go to war as a child. I used to play with action figures. I, I used to, my whole life was just about all oh, well, I mean, I was, I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know about politics. I didn't know about. I didn't know about um, you know why people are going to Iraq. I didn't know why people were doing this. People were doing that. I just knew that I wanted to go out and, and be a soldier. Whether that's, I don't mean I wanted to go out and kill people from a young age. It, it was more. I just wanted to go out. I just wanted to go to war. I just wanted to be part of that. That machine. Part of that. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, I just I just knew as a young as a so I tried to join up in two thousand uh, when I was sixteen, whatever year that was. I feel like a dinosaur now. So let's say again, twenty two thousand and one. Sorry, yeah. So I tried to join the army back then, and the, the sad thing is, like I say, it's in this book. When my granddad passed away, he was on his deathbed, and I. I was the last one of the last people he'd seen, and I promised him on his deathbed in Luton. He died. He died at home um, he, at Moss Bank Avenue. Uh, I, I gave him a cuddle. I watched him deteriorate. Broke my heart. Couldn't have cried anymore in my life. Mm. I tried, and I, I gave him a cuddle on his deathbed, and I promised him I'd become a soldier, and and I'd make him proud. So give him a kiss. Stuck my phone up at him. And he stuck his thumb at me, and that was the last time I seen him. That was the last time I seen him. My dad, uh, my granddad, but it was my dad. And just talk about it now. What I would have went up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And and and, and when I was um, so the minute the minute I when I was at school, like I said, I was dyslexic. I was in and out of uh, classes. I used to act the clown because I was struggling with with my writing, struggling with my reading, and stuff like that. So I got took out of school, went to college, and, and but I just I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in doing Brit Lane courses. I wasn't interested in doing carpentry. I wasn't interested in anything else apart from just wanting to join the army. So from the youngest youngest age I can remember, I went to the recruiting office, went through the system, I was going to go to the Army Foundation College, got all the way to selection and failed. And no. Yeah. So I got all the way to selection and got got there. I was fit. I was I channeled I channeled everything into training. Got got to, got to selection centre and made it. Didn't make it past the nurse. So basically went through my went through my medical history and I was, I was given an inhaler at like the age of twelve years old and they 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 they, they, they canned me there and then for having asthma and I was just like I, I was like. Fuck me! What do I do? Like I, I had no other plans. That that was it, Paul. I, I had no other plans. And, but more than that, I'd let my granddad down. Mm. And and I, I'm I'm not even I'm I'm talking. I'm 16 now, and it took me a while to comprehend that. So I just went out drinking, and I was depressed at the age of 16. I, I had things going on in my head. I just couldn't couldn't cope. Uh, 16, 17, I was, and so I decided, fuck it, I'll join the Foreign Legion. Did you? That was. Uh, yeah, that was my next. This is before I'm 18 years old. I thought I'll join the I'll join Foreign Legion at 18. So my old man helped me. He started googling Marseille and how old you can be to join the Foreign Legion. And uh, this is what I mean. This is when I say I wasn't interested in politics and, and the country, yeah, and even less so now. But it, it, um, I, I was just like googling. But then, funny enough, there, there was a there was a TA regiment around the corner from where I lived. So I just thought I'll go and have a look at the TA regiment as well as. You know, I'm too young to join the Foreign Legion. If the army don't want me, I'll, I'll make me other way. So I went, went, went to the TA centre. Went, except I didn't tell them that I failed army selection. I just, I just didn't. I didn't tell them. So we, we, we basically went. It, it wasn't JPA back then. It was just. It was. It was all on. You know, you could fail one and then go and join the other. So I, 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 
they accepted me. I passed. It was the Remy. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't know what a Remy was. Well, let's call mechanical engineer. Look, all I seen was a uniform, a beret, and, and, a, and an SA80. I thought that that's fine. Just I'm gonna be part of that. But it wasn't really for me because I started realising it was a recovery unit, and, and I, I wanted to be a frontline soldier. And this is, you know, I just knew, you know, I don't want to be messing around with chains and, and, and trucks. I want to, I want to be, I want, I want to be out in the field. I was in the army cadet as a child as well. I forgot to mention. So I did look quite a lot of stilts, uh, field craft as a child as well, you know. And um, I just knew, no, I want to, I want to. Uh, this ain't for me. So I started channeling on the foreign legion as well as training for the uh, BNTA recce neck. Um, but I, I, my mum didn't want me to join the foreign legion. Obviously, why would you, why would you want your son to join the foreign legion? You know, um, it's not like I just come out of jail and I've got nothing else to do. So, um, <laughs> like, so, so my mum did. We, we did an appeal anyway, and weirdly enough, a few months before I was due to join the foreign legion after my eighteenth birthday, I had a letter through from Fribley Park from from a major service saying that they'd, um, the appeal was okay, and I had to go to Fribley Park Hospital and do a a medical. And that was depending on the results, whether or not I was eligible to join the regular, regular, regular army. Right. So that was 2002. So to answer your question, in theory, I joined, realistically, I joined, the, I joined the military in 2001, 2000, uh, 2002, and then I passed everything, went back for selection, smashed the selection. Then, obviously, went, and then from there, Joined the, the regular forces in two, 2003, 13th October 2003. So uh, we all remember those days, don't we? I remember the days that yeah. I did my police exams, etc. But so did the Coldstream Guards choose you, or did you choose the Coldstream Guards? I, I, I chose them. Um, it, so I basically I wanted I didn't know. What I, let's, let's let's be honest. You recruit the sergeant has a lot to play in what regiment you join. Because it depends on what they're in, but you know, I, I, to start off with, it was going to. I didn't know the difference between the Marines, the Paras, the Guards, the, the Royal Anglians. I, I didn't know, um, and it, I just wanted. To, I just wanted. To, I just. I just wanted to be uh, the best of the, the best. Best of the best. I wanted. I wanted the hardest training. I wanted. I wanted. I just wanted. To, I just wanted to, to be the best fighting soldier I could be, and. After speaking to um, a recruiting sergeant, I won't mention him, but he's a good bloke. You know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind. But after speaking to the recruiting sergeant, he's obviously ex, he's ex, he was he was ex guards and whatnot. I just thought, yeah, this is for me. This, this sounds good. You know, you get the best of both worlds. You get to, you get to take the queen, and this is when I started thinking, okay, you know, patriotic and all that, and and the history behind the regiment, and thought, yeah, let's go with that then. And so, so yeah. It basically came to me. I, I also did my research on it. I could have changed my mind at any time, uh, but I just like I just like I just like the sound of it from 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 there. As soon as I passed the training, and, and yeah, fantastic. And because it's one of the five guards afoot, Coldstreams, yeah. Welsh, Irish, Grenadiers, and Scots. Yeah, and there's a fantastic memorial um, by the by Horse Guards Parade, which depicts the five guards afoot, and it's just it's amazing. And I'm I'm. I'm really into it. But you get signed up. Where did you do your basic training? Catcher. We was one of the, we were one of the first. We were one of the first because obviously the guards used to have their own independent training wing. Yes. Uh, a per, oh, per we, bright was it a per bright? Yeah, per bright. Yeah. So so we so uh, we were one of the not the first, but we were one of the first after they uh, got rid of that. So basically, it's basically um, us the guards, uh, the guards trainees, and the paras. Uh, Helly's Barracks in in in, um, in Catrick, and then obviously had the Gurkhas across the road, and then through the through the tunnel up in Vimy Barracks, we had all the all the regular infantry battalions uh, recruits training, uh, doing their doing their training. So yeah, so six months uh, down in, uh, up in Catrick. I am really interested in this. So when you get to Catrick, you go through your basic training. At what point do they issue you with your bare skin and your your red coat? They don't. They don't. Yeah, no, no. I mean, so I mean, uh, like, I can't say now. I don't know now. I don't. You know, I've been out of the game a long time. But back then, it was just um, combat ninety-five and uh, crap cat beret. But you don't get your blue or blue on it. You don't get all the. You don't get your. You don't get your. You know, your colours. Um, 
we we went as far as number two dress in basic training. So right. Passed that one dress. Right. Okay. And I didn't I didn't get a best. I didn't even look at a drill boots. Yes, but I didn't even get measured up for for a red coat and a bear skin. So I was three years in because oh, right. I was operational in Iraq and Bosnia and, and other things. So right. Okay. And like you say, the ammo boots, the, the the drill boots. I mean, they used to get the order. I used to take my shoes to Wellington Barracks, and they get the orderlies to do my my shoes. They they oh, were okay. like they were like glass. Good old Steve shoes. I, 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 I used to cheat, but I used to cheat and put clear on them because oh, did I always ground the piss for like, yeah, always <laughs> ground the piss quicker. Mitch would be Mitch would be Mitch would be killing, but you know Mitch would be going mad now. God bless him. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I just used to. I want to go out on the piss quicker and meet birds. So <laughs> yeah, Mitch, bless his heart. Very, very proud, very patriotic man. His demise was just incredible. You're posted to Aldershot from Catherine. Yeah. yeah. We got told, me and one other, there was only two of us that passed out for our regiment. Obviously, there was others that passed out for other regiments. So yeah. Out of, I don't know, 30 guys, maybe 18 to 20 past. I can't remember. You know, guys left, guys transferred, injuries, drug tests, couldn't cut, did, 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 didn't, just couldn't pass certain things. But we were told, me and, it, it, was, it was, usually you'd pass out and go to seven company, i.e. the ceremonial company. Right. But we we got called into the office, me and this lad, and they basically said, "You'll be going straight to battalion because they're they're operational. They're going they're due to go on go to Iraq." And I, I was just like, "All my Christmas has come at once." It's like, hadn't even passed out of training yet, eighteen years old, thinking, "Fucking come on, this is what this is what I joined for." I, I, it's all it's all going right. I'm going to Iraq. Don't know when. Don't know where. Don't care. Let's let's get this done. So yeah. Wow. So you never even got to do the the bit outside Buckingham Palace, changing the guards there and all that. No, 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 not not for years, not for years, mate. I, I, straight to battalion, straight on optelic training, optelic training. So optelic, what what one were they on at that time? It was in two thousand and five. Telic six, it was. Telic right? six, two thousand and five. Yeah. So you you go to Bryce Norton, pick up your aircraft. No, I, I was on it. I I was I I got married very young. I've been married a few times. And I think what I was trying to do was, I think I was trying to really, I was trying to relive my past and try and make it better and, and prove everybody wrong. And I just wanted, I wanted to have something I never had, i.e. a stable family and mm. an estate. And, and so I, 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 I was stupidly married after passing out 18 and, uh, it, it was it was for completely wrong reasons. I wasn't in love with her. A child got involved, and uh, oh, yeah, it, it just it, it, it went terribly wrong. And I was too young. She she had her own. She had some real problems, and and yeah, that that I was also on a course before Iraq. So I, I deployed. I deployed about two weeks later than the rest of the battalion. Um, so yeah, I went to Bryce Norton in full green kit. I didn't have any deserts or anything. I, I, I literally deployed in green in greens to 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 um from Bryce Norton to <coughs> Shiba. Uh, well, no, it wouldn't be Shiba. Sorry, it would have been yeah, uh, the the APOD in, in in Basra. Yeah. Wow. And then we went from the RSLI package and then it got straight sent through to <coughs> straight through to um the Shadow the hotel Shadow Hotel, which isn't a hotel. It was, but it was. A water-worn hotel. Yeah, a barrack. But more like yeah, bullet holes in it. <laughs> and the the Coldstream guards. Were you on the mortar team? What was what was your role? I funny I mentioned the mortar team. I I didn't join the mortars until <clears throat> after after Iraq. I was I was, put, I was in I was in a rifle company. Right. <clears throat> in a rifle company. Um, a lot of things like a lot of this is about. Well, in the rifle company so we'd basically do the rotation would be guard duty night patrols day patrols guard duty constant you know four days on that four days on that four days on that and um we basically go out on on foot patrols vehicle patrols during the daytime nighttime qrf as well quickly action force as well and then obviously sanger bashing on 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 the on, on the guard which is where one of my main incidents came from which I'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I had quite a 
busy tour of duty, shall we say, at, at a very young age, which I'm happy to talk about this in the book anyway. So yeah, I mean, we do, I don't want to spoil the book because I want people, no. I want people to buy the book. But you obviously saw action out there because it was a very very busy time out it there. It was. It was. I mean, it was frustrating as well because I've done Afghanistan as well, which which isn't in this book. This will be, that'll be out. That'll be out the second book because. This life story was only if I if I had created one book, it would have been, it would have been about seven hundred pages long, right? And it'd be too much for the reader. So it, when people get to the end of this first book, they'll want the second one, which will be released in due course. But um, it was a very busy time. We were getting mortared. A lot of IEDs out on the ground. Unfortunately, not many follow-up shoots. And when I say unfortunately, it's, it, it becomes frustrating when you're getting blown up. And you're seeing people getting blown up and you're getting called as QRF to an instant and you've got no one to fight. All you see is blown up vehicles and essentially dead bodies from your own side. And there's no one, there's no one to take it out on. There's no one to defend. It's just, uh, do you know what I mean? You're just, you're just mopping up the debris. Yeah, basically. And showing, yeah, you, you, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I was in positions out there where, where we did have, con- we, we did have full on contacts. Um, and and um, and like I say, that's in the book. They're in the book. I was also in a, I was in, I was in a, <laughs> unbelievably, I was uh, I was involved in an incident out there, which it's it's in the, it's in both other podcasts. One's not released yet. It, yours will be out before this, but it was it was a few days after the Jamiat riots. I don't know if you remember the two sus lads were arrested and. Warrior went through the through, through the police station. Yeah, basically, and it was a few days after that. We was in a snatch vehicle, and ours broke down, and a warrior went past us. And um, so we had half a multiple on the ground, and I was obviously part of what I was one of the lucky five or six with half multiple that was with us. And we decided we basically set up a, a snap vehicle checkpoint. And a car kept coming up and down, up and down. We thought they'd get to the RV space and turn around and come and get us. It was a long, very big convoy <clears throat> because the threat level went through the roof because of the Jamyat riots and whatnot. <clears throat> so there was a lot of non-movement of armoured vehicles on MSRs, main supply routes. And we were on our snatch breakdown and Bowman, the, the radios couldn't get through to anyone. PRRs were out of, were out of reach. So we, ha- we, we basically decided... I, I, was on the VCP. Leading up to this point, there was a, there was an incident on the Sanger with me. Two incidents on the Sanger with me, in which I'd I'd use aim shots at a, a vehicle coming through coming through a checkpoint, and uh, like it's it's documented. It's on Radio Four Kill Factor, BBC Radio Four Kill Factor. It's documented on that. It's um it, I, I spoke about it when I was going through therapy on GMTV. It's, I did a lot of documentary on GMTV when I left the army, and um. Basically, I took I took a, a name. I did a warning shot at one vehicle, and then another vehicle coming through did a warning shot. He put his foot on the accelerator rather than the brake. I didn't have time to think about that, so I've had to, I've had to use aim shots through the windscreen at, at the driver. There was no bomb. The QRF went out. He was a news reporter, but I I um, I followed I called I I followed Card Alpha to to, to the letter of the law. I had to go and see RMP do an interview afterwards. But there was no case to answer for. In fact, I got a recommendation, actually, Did for you? my actions. I didn't get the recommendation because I got arrested on r but that's another story. Oh, um, got done for DBH. Yeah, oh. this, is, this is why I had to write. But, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, the, going back to the, the vehicle incident, I was, I, was quite, I was quite tall. I was quite clued up. I, I was young, but I just knew how, how to, be a, to be a soldier. I, I was one of the juniorest ranks there. I, I, it's, it's probably the most probably junior Bob there, uh, I'd, I'd imagine. But I just had something about me. Whether that's come from my childhood, or I just I, I could just make decisions and, and know know what to do in, in certain instant, instances. And in that in that uh, in that instance in that in that in that incident, we actually had to leave, abandon the vehicle and make our way make our own way back to. A, a nearest location, which was Shiber, good 12k away. Um, I can't remember exactly, but we got we got we got contacted on the way past. 
from from a from a uh, from like a compound. Whether they were warning shots or aim shots, I, I don't know. But the flooding crack was going. We, we peeled off into the desert, all round the fence, 360 degrees. I had a UGL and the stun grenade launcher on the SA80. I was like, soft. I was dying to that one off. I was just like, shall I, shall I, shall I, shall I, you know? But we did. I didn't. No one returned round. No one returned fire because let's face it, we was on our own and we would have died. We 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 we, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here to tell a story now. So we basically we basically tabbed through the desert, got to a got to a checkpoint. There's a checkpoint. We knew there was checkpoints. We've gone through it a million times. But what I haven't said though is this vehicle that kept coming through the checkpoint. We um, I, I was we'd been there too long. And I said, I went into a Bravo to zero mode, Randy McNabb nicking a car. And, and I basically pulled these guys out of the car, there was, there was a firearm. And I said, let's just nick their car and drive back to Shiba. And half the multiple, half, 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 half of the multiple, so like three guys, was up for it. And then the others weren't, one was an NCO. So I had to then apologize to these Iraqis, put them back, after unzipped, uncable time, put them back in the vehicle. And then we were compromised from that from that moment onwards. And going up to the leading up to the Sanger, up to the uh, vehicle checkpoint, which is manned by the Iraqis, who were corrupt as well, which we all know they were corrupt back mm. then anyway. We were like, how do we approach this Sanger? Uh, how do we approach the police station? And um, we basically pepper pied towards it. We thought, do we, do we try and go round it? Do we just patrol up to it? But the problem was we'd been all, you know, they, those guys in the car, whether they were dickers, whether they weren't, no one knew. They could, they, these guys could be waiting for us with an RPK on the sign out to, to just to just to, to do us in. Yeah. And so we we, we tactically bounced forward as Charlie Delta fire fire team and took over the police station. They were all asleep, and we were going to take a police car. Uh, but in that in that in dur- during this incident and this this moment, a multiple from Shiba had turned up to the to the to the police station from one Royal Irish. Not to find us. No one knew about us. No, they didn't know about us. They were on a, they were on a routine patrol, and they, they were like, who, "Who the fuck are you?" And when we told them what had happened, they were like, "They were for nah, rubbish." We're like, "No, this is honestly what's happened." And when we got back, to, when when they basically took us back, recovered the snatch vehicle, took us back to Shiba, got put in front of their commanding officer, who, who just shook our hands and said, "You, we, this is this is this is unbelievable." If you were my troops, you'd you'd, you'd be ripped up for this. Like you'd, you'd be getting, you'd you'd be, you know. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, you know what the guards are like. Um, we basically got told this didn't happen. This didn't fucking happen. And I'm not slagging them off, but that's how that's that's how it went down. And it kind of pissed me off a little bit. Mm. But yeah. So you, you, know. you you've you've done your tour of Iraq, and it was action-packed to say the least and the demons were just building up yeah uh, i was quite trigger happy at the end i didn't when i got home from iraq i didn't i got done for gbh um i basically i was in a nightclub an hour and hour so I, I, I was i was the best i was i was doing really well i was at promotion courses had a recommendation went an hour and hour a fight kicked off in Ketron, and um a guy Basically beat my mate up, no big deal. Mate lost a one-on-one fight. It is what it is. Um, Stu of a woman, most fights are. And um, he, but for some reason, he kept stalking me, and I was just like, and it, 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 he came, he came out, he came at me with a bit of force in, 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 in a nightclub, and I just blacked out. I, I just, I seen, I see, I actually seen this bloke's face who I mentioned as a child. Seen this bloke's face and. Uh, smell the desert and I lashed out, cut his ear off with a glass, and he he he's basically dropped. Uh, I got done for section eighteen, got nicked, got nicked there after the, after my night out. He, he dropped charges actually, like later on in life. So luckily, but um, yeah, actually packed to say the least. And it I had that I had that I had that cloud over me because I was on bail and. We then got into another scrape in Leicester where I saved someone's life, got stabbed in the throat in Leicester, a young lad. Um, I saved his life, but unfortunately, uh, I, was, I ripped my shirt off, smashed it in as a jugular, 
and he, he was dying in my arms with his brother. They'd lost their dad a few years before. Luckily, I, I managed to save his life. In the, in the, in the um, paper in Leicester, it said a police officer saved his life. It wasn't. It was me. I wouldn't let go. I wouldn't let go of the. I wouldn't let go of this this boy. He was only seventeen as well. I wouldn't let go of him until the ambulance staff. Uh, and I got nicked with my disorder as well. So I, I what, on the same that. night. Yeah, and then and then I had and then I had, so I had a GBH on me, and then I had a violent disorder on me. I was just like, this is shit. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, all the hard work is it, it, slowly going away from me, and. It, it, it was it was just like fuck. What's going on? What was the decompression like when you came out of Iraq? There wasn't them. No, no, no. From Iraq, there was no decompression. It was a we was we was in I mean, and we lost uh, pre uh, pre company lost a sergeant on the last day of his tour as oh. well, and 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 um, which was a. We we had a successful tour, you know. We 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 done really well on that tour, and we, we basically achieved our job. And to lose a sergeant, to lose to lose someone on his last patrol was just like, and he had children as well, and heartbreaking, and, you know. Heart, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. And but yeah, it, it, it was a case of being in Basra on the on the Saturday, out on the piss in all the shot on the Sunday. There was no decompression. And I, I, it was all. Cool, it was like, it was, you know, it was actually, I've said this a lot of times, it was like we'd just been on a six-month tour of, of Salisbury Plain. The way, the, way it was, the way it was treated, back, weapons handed in, cleaned, parade, out of the deserts, in the greens, right, PT in the morning. It's like, what? You didn't get any R&R when you were... You did, but you have to, yeah, not straight away, like a couple of days in barracks, make sure all kits, kit and equipment, main kit and equipment's in. We didn't have a victory parade uh, in all the shop. The medals were given to us. Basically, you had to go sign for your medal for, for, for the Iraq tour from the, from the, from the, from the, uh, from, uh, from the clerks or whatever it was. It was, it was literally like, we'd just, we'd literally just gone from Salisbury playing with people dying to uh, Afghanistan was different but Iraq yeah we, we got back to the barracks there was there was flowers outside for the fallen that we lost on, on the tour and it was yeah it wasn't it was the same for everybody we had a yeah all we all we had was just we basically had a return to return from tour and went out in the piss as a platoon that's basically we had platoon piss up was end up in fights anyway. That's that's all we had. That, that's like out in the piss and Guildford, I think it was. We I, had no. I witnessed some of that firsthand um, in Colchester, where a doorman decided to whisper in the ear of a, a, a para who had been left. He was he was like the rear guard, and he basically said, "Hope all your mates die." And they all get back from from Iraq. They go on the lash in Colchester. And there's a, a a fight, and there's one para, and he knocks out these three doors, literally knocks them out. And you know he's a para. His hair's longer. He's got a suntan. He's a big yeah. strapping fella. And um, the adjutant walks in. Sergeant Major, do you recognise any of these men in this video? No, sir. Okay, thank you very much. And that was it. And they just walks off into the sunset. You know, they knew they knew it was, but you know the. the People seem to forget that the army are trained to fight, and they yeah, need exactly, yeah. they need to have that that decompression. They need to have that time to, and it's not going to suit everybody. But if it, if it's not dealt with properly, then the incidents that you're talking about take place. Yeah, there we are. I mean, I I, I just had this black cloud over me from, from 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 I think from childhood, you know, and and. It got to the point, I was very true, I was putting my name down for every tour going, but as one bail condition finished, another one came up. And when I look back, every every incident that I had to do with the police, I don't get on with the police, but I've got my own reasons for that. But they were doing the job. I, I know good police officers. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I've, had, I've been on the wrong side of them 
and I've been stitched up a couple of times to do with football and things like that. But it, it is what it is, and and um, I'm still here to tell the tale. So, but I always I didn't help myself. But when I look back, there was obviously reasons behind why I was getting in trouble all the time, why I couldn't calm my anger down, why I, I've always been a feisty guy. But that comes from that comes from watching your mum get knocked the fuck out of when when you're from the age of sort of five up to fifteen. But it, yeah, it, it was just I just always had this dark cloud over me. This this was happening, all and then I'd get myself. Problem, problem I had, and probably still do up to today is, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that man that's there to help his mates out whenever they're yeah, and it's yeah. Do you know what I mean? How how have your relationships gone? I mean, you you've said that you've been married a couple awful, of times. Yeah. Awful. I mean. It's, whether it's it's not always my fault. First one was my fault, and then I'm the army made me homeless. I actually got I'm, I'm against the system now because I've been I'll go into that. But my relationships, I won't go into the one in a minute. But the, the one the previous ones, I've had lots of girlfriends, been married. So I'm on my third, but previously I was married, and then I got married again. We didn't have children, luckily. That went wrong. She was a big traveller from the Kent, Kent area, and that ended badly. And yeah, it, it, it's I I I went through I went through a point where, and I'm in the same point now. So I'm not, but I am in a, in a way of when I left the army. So when I, when I left that the relationships went bad. I struggle. I struggle with my emotions and I struggle with talking and I'd rather go down the pub and have five pints and talk to me mates than I would sit on the sofa and confined in someone mm. because I don't like to show my emotions. Do you know what I mean? Be a therapy, if you like. I think that's what we call it now. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got, I've got a little boy now. I love him to bits. But I'm going to Ukraine in, a few, in about a month's time. Oh yeah. Only for only for a few weeks for a bit to do to do a job that I've been asked to do. I'm going as a volunteer, so I'm just waiting. For, I'm just waiting for that to pay off, and, and then that, hopefully that'll that'll uh, end the that'll end that'll end the chapter of my life of <laughs> deploying abroad. But we'll see. You you've come out of the army in what year? So uh, it was 2009, 2010. I was going through a medical discharge and for PTSD. And that was the hardest thing to come out as because what I mean by that is no one spoke out back then. No one spoke out. And I come home from Afghanistan, did a did, did a rack boss in you know, Africa and then went to Afghanistan on Herrick Seven. And I was actually uh, was always mixed in Afghanistan at, at certain points I was at Fob Keenan. But um we, I come home from Afghanistan, I was going through a medical discharge, and once again, this hamster wheel about being on bail, I got myself in another scrape before I went to Afghanistan. So everything was going well again. Went a few days before I went to Afghanistan, ended up in a scrape with another bloke on a, on a Saturday night in Windsor, got lifted, got bail, went out on Sunday, carried on drinking, got lifted by the same officer, got nicked again. And I was just like, oh, what am I doing? And the, the army find that funny. As long as it doesn't come down on them, they find it funny at the time. As long as it... But I then... So I then missed my court appearance and went as because I got deployed to Afghanistan. So whilst I was in Afghanistan, they knew I had bail. They knew I was on bail. And there's this and knew that I had bail. So I went to Afghanistan, missed my court appearance. I was then a wanted man whilst in Helmand Province, because the caution that I received on the Saturday turned to an ABH, and the ABH on the Saturday turned to a GBH. And because I've missed my court appearances, I was, I was wanted for attending to the Court of Justice as well. Oh my Apparently, I've fled the country. Apparently, I've fled the country in order to um, evade, evade, <laughs> evade court, but I decided to go to Afghanistan for it. So I had all that, I had all that shit to deal with as well whilst in Afghanistan. How did that all pan out for you? Uh, what, what the end, the end result? Yeah. The end, the end result was Crown Court appearance in Reading, 
and I pleaded guilty to ABH, not GBH. I, I did, I did um, the first ABH got turned back into caution. GBH got dropped to section 20 or 21 oh. ABH. And um, the third, of course, justice got canned because there was no, there was no, there was nothing to answer for. I received a prison, a suspended prison sentence for 38 weeks, right. which, which is where the discharge, well, how a discharge happened. I was going through a medical discharge PTSD. I'd gone through EMDR therapy, and um, the day that I thought I was being medically discharged, went for the medical. They rushed through the medical. I went to see the CO, and what I didn't know was. They'd actually not the regiment backed me up all all day long on this. I have to admit the regiment did. I, I seen the paperwork. They were supporting me, but someone for some retired major from Director of Army Manning had decided him and his infinite wisdom had gone through my my paperwork and seen a loophole in the system, which was my suspended sentence. Because it was under Queen's regulation, as it was class of prison sentence, they could, they, you see where this is going, don't you? They could get rid of my medical discharge and dishonorably discharge me mm. over the space of a few hours. So I walked in there expecting a handshake and a, a, a sorry, you're leaving, and, and, and the support. But more than that, the support package that goes with a medical discharge, you know? So, I went in there and then I was made homeless. Basically, you'd been kicked out of the army. And I was like, what? How? Which then, it then took me a long time to get my head around. I was suicidal. I tried, I tried to kill myself. And luck, thankfully, I, I failed. But I was, it was very close. I took a major, major overdose. I just did not know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. I, I had nothing. I, luckily, I was in a relationship, so I, was, I had somewhere to live. But... The army didn't know that. Essentially, I was made homeless overnight, and it, yeah, it's still it's still a very hard hard pill to swallow. But I I fought it, and I knew I knew two I knew, I knew two lads who had suspended sentences but were still serving. Mm-hmm. So I had to use their cases in order to support my case of a solicitor. Found a very very good solicitor from London, and we fought it, and. They caved in and it was like, yeah, we're changing this to a medical discharge and a war pension PTSD. So I, I, I did get that in the end, but I nearly, I nearly didn't get that because if I, some people don't know, some people, some people haven't got the, the willpower to carry on, and and I've known people to take their own lives, and I tried myself, and it, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, it was a very hard part, part time of my life, you know. Mm. Yeah, some and people that- might say it on yourself, but. I didn't bring it on myself. There was obviously, there was obviously under underlying issues there. You know what I mean? And when I look back on it now, and with this book, and then the second one, all I want to do is, is raise. It's not a look at me.com. Look at look at this book. Look what I've got away of. Look, look what look what I can do. Look at me. It's uh, reading through it. It, it, you, you can you can you can suffer. You can be suffering from PTSD or mental health um, health issues. Because you're an ex-police officer, yep. fireman, just just Joe Bloggs, just what from, from a car crash or yep. witnessing something in the street, or like I said, when I was doing my um, when I was doing a podcast the other week with, with a journalist, I met, I met that Roy Lerner, Lana, who was yes. from the terror attacks, and he he's a he's a he's another um, example of how PTSD can can follow you home, as in yeah. Yeah, I'm already, you know. Well, you, you you've gone through trauma your entire life. Yeah, it, it doesn't take a counsellor to work that out. You know, for the age of five, your family have split. You then your mother gets involved in a in an abusive relationship. The guy won't lay a finger on you because he's scared of your old man, but he'll knock your 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 stepbrother and sister around. Yeah, you then join join the army, and then you see atrocities. You know your friends being killed. There's little wonder that y- y- your mind isn't always in the best place. And well, you know, I, when I, I've simplified it there. Say again, sorry. I simplified it, but that's that's it in a nutshell, isn't it's it? True. It's true. It's true in a nutshell. And then, like I say, when I when I was discharged from the army, I couldn't watch war films. I couldn't. 
I I couldn't uh, listen to fireworks. I didn't want to go out because if I went out, I'd have my back to the wall. I'd I'd, I'd struggle to, to to be part of society. Drank. To, I mean, I drink too much now, but I, back then I drank drank too much, mm. and it would just turn into me getting paranoid, fighting all the time, and. I went, that's, that's when I got the story picked up from GMTV. I went through Talking to Minds charity. don't know if you've heard of Talking to yep. Minds. But I went through Talking to Minds with a guy called Rob Paxman. We was, I was on GMTV for this. And I went through their therapy, which I have to say did change my, did kind of change my brain a little bit. But what it did is it reversed it. So I went from not being able to watch war films to not, not wanting uniform to thinking, I want to get back. Oh really? Yeah, which is what I've done. I then went out as a, as a contractor for the for the next twelve years. Wow! And finished in two thousand twenty one. So, so went out, started on the boats, started going out on the boats, doing Somalian piracy, uh, got in some scrapes out there with, with some some, some Somalian pirates hijacking ships. Last one was in two thousand eighteen, which I'd use I'd use I'd use arm. I, I basically had to use use my weapon system, but won't go into it too much, but you, you get the drift. Yeah. And uh, then went back to Iraq on the ground as a contractor and started started doing jobs for the Department of Defense, the Americans, around Mosul, uh, ISIS areas and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, and, and then here I am. Wow. <laughs> so, and Ukraine's next? It, Ukraine's looking next for a couple of weeks, yeah. And people are begging me not to go. But... I feel like I have to go just to close the chapter on my life. It, it, I can't, I can't disclose who, who, or why. I'm no, going, no. But it's, um, it's, it's a short gig, and once it's done, hopefully I'm done, and then it'll come out in this, it'll come out in this, in the second book or third it'll come book. Out in something. Sorry, the third book. Second, second. Yeah, yeah but there, there's, well, there's a third one there as well, isn't there? I mean, at the end of the day, you, you've led a very colourful life thus far. You've done things that some people would never consider doing i mean that's that's the bottom line and i'm really grateful for your candor because to talk through what you've you've talked through it must be very very difficult and i hope that you found part of this cathartic how do you see your future um do you know what what i'm hoping is these this my story and i've already been invited to a um I've been invited to a few events. I, I, what, how do I see my future? I don't know. What I'd like from my future, first, first and foremost, I've got quite a few children. Most of them are growing up now. Well, my little boy, who's seven years old. All, I, all I want in my life is to, is for him to have a better one than what I've had. So that's my main goal in life. Whether I'm about, whether me having to sacrifice things in order for him to do that, i.e. Um, I don't know, you know, whether I have to pull myself away from things or whether I have to be be part of his life, but not living with it. I don't know how, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but my, my main goal in life at the moment is one, my son, to make my little boy have a better future and make sure his dad's in his life more than what I've had. And for him not to, for him not to witness things that I've had to witness, growing up that's my main goal my main, my second goal is obviously I'd love, I'd love to be happy yeah uh, that'd be that'd be that'd be a bonus but if my if my if my stories and my my books and me speaking to people can either help identify people that don't know they've got PTSD to, to think well hang on I've I've seen I can see a pattern there or someone's partner to say this 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 is showing similar light to somebody else that I know. It 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 could help. I could help people. I, I know I can help people. Whether that's because they've been in the army, whether it's because they've been through I don't know abuse as a child, or you know, they, they read through my stories yeah. and, and pick things out, identify with it, and bring them closure. Help them reach out. Help help people in general reach out. That that'd be a good. That'd be a good um, future for me. Because you've got the ability to talk. That's the first thing. You, yeah. You're a communicator. And there are 
organisations, the, the police, you know, they would probably sit you down with victims of domestic abuse and you could tell them your story because they, there'll be a, there'll be a room of people that don't realise that they're going through the same thing. Yeah, that's, this is what I mean, yeah. Yeah. How did you find the writing, writing the book process? You're dyslexic, so yeah. how did that work for you? Fucking hell, mate. I must, I, must, I must have tried to spell vehicle a hundred times. Might be soft words, wouldn't even pick it up. But no, in a, in a way, it was quite therapeutic because I was getting things off my chest onto paper, onto a screen that I'd never told a, soul, a living soul. Yeah. So there was, there was it, it, in a way of it was quite therapeutic. And another part of it was other parts were hard to swallow. A few tears were shed yeah. in my own time, uh, but essentially, it was it was I felt good. Uh, it was like I needed to get that off my chest. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And did you get did you get someone to edit the book for you? And yeah, so I I, I like I said, I I never thought about publishing a book. Even though people have said to me, "You can have a film, you can have a film out, you can you can write two books, you you could write a book." Sorry. You, like you've had a mental life I was just for uh, but then once I'd f- finished my last uh, deployment which was the, the DOD contract I just I just looked on my laptop and thought how much, how much have I wrote there and it was 135,125 words and I was like fucking hell so I started thinking should I turn this into a book but I didn't know how to do it I looked on Amazon self-publishing and just thought oh this isn't for me but um, a friend of mine knows a book publisher so he she put me in contact with, with her i sent her what's now called a manuscript i was had to invest in it but she's took the time which is why the book is so professional and and it's it, there's no there's you know it, it really you'll see once you've read it and it, it so she she was compelled by the story She's, it's the first sort of story that she's done like this. She's, she does she does other other sort other sorts of sorts of work, but she she advised me it was should be two books, and where to, where the cutoff point was, and then they basically turned that diary into a living a living story, and and which which is now what we've got, and and I'm glad I've done it because good the diary the diary or the manuscript that I wrote was obviously out of place and but everything in it is my word no one has changed they're my words they're all my words no i'm not a ghostwriter all i've had is an editor to basically clip mop up the million spelling errors and grammar grammar marks and stuff like that and and basically just just replace where certain things should be it for, for the for the for the reader you know rather than a you know, that's, that's basically how it all come about. And the book is called When War Follows You Home? Yeah, When War Follows You Home, the book is called. And it's available through the outlets, your Amazons? and It is um, at the moment. At the moment, it's When War Follows You Home is, is available on Amazon. All you have to do is go on Amazon and type in When War Follows You Home, and you've got it on Kindle and paperback. Within about, I'm going to say, within a week, it will also be available on Ingram Sparks. Which reaches out to major outlets online, such as Waterstones and things like that. Perfect. So it won't be on it won't be on the shelves. Maybe it will one day. I hope it I hope it does. Um, however, however that works, I don't know. But um, at the at this moment in time, yeah, when more Forage Home is available on Amazon, and we've, we'll give it a week or so, and it will be available on Ingram Sparks. I can also I can also get them printed myself, and 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 obviously take them to events and, and Brilliant. Sell, them, sell them there as well. Well, look, mate, you, you've been an absolute gent. I hope that your view of the police has changed by talking to me today. <laughs> um, but before you go, I have yeah. to ask you this, and you've probably heard this a few times, but is there anything you'd like to add, alter or correct in relation to the statement that you've made today? No comment. <laughs> you're, you're a good man. Listen, take care of yourself. Keep safe. Keep out of trouble. And I, um, I look forward to buying you a beer somewhere. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm absolutely serious about that as well. Um, yeah, cool. Take care, have a great day. Thank you, Paul. God, God bless, mate. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.